Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is part of the Anfield Raps Christmas Hamper. What is the Anfield Raps Christmas Hamper, you ask yourself? Well, the Anfield Raps Christmas Hamper is us handing over to you all the shows that we normally put behind the paywall for this week leading up into Christmas so you can get a flavour of what's going on there. That's what we're about with this little thing. We want you to get to listen to all of this, get a flavour of what we're doing, and maybe you'll think about subscribing. You'll be able to click subscribe whenever you want to throughout these shows. Go from there, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. But more than anything else, we very much hope you enjoy the shows. Thanks for listening all year, the Anfield rap. It's the Friday show, Neil Atkinson, Mike Gerling, who's just in the sound checked on us a little bit of John Cooper Clark, uh, which was lovely to hear. Uh, Paul Dehaney, Paul Cope will be joining us in a minute or two uh, to talk about the weekend's foot Premier League action and also with one eye on the entirety of the Christmas uh, the Christmas calendar, uh, where a couple of sides are concerned. Um, but we'll start with Liverpool versus Stoke and Mike Gerling with the other side of the Merseyside derby. Mm. The first of the three we need, uh, the three points we need in this run really in the bag. It, huge in the end and it should send us bouncing into Stoke. Yeah, I mean the world looks very different, doesn't it? Um, this week after 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 Monday night. I, I don't... I, I must admit, even if we just go back to... If we can, if, yeah. if, if, I, if I may, to before Monday night. I never thought... There was a lot of people nervous about that game on the red side, you know, and I, I never really was nervous, so I was quite surprised how it panned out. You know, I thought they'd, they'd do what they did for 20 minutes and then... I, I just thought it, we would have scored a lot sooner than we did, yeah. if you know, but I always felt it was going to happen. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think the nature of the victory is actually more important than the victory, if that makes any it sense. It does, yes. And I think... Um, so, because we went into that game with a loss and a draw... And then uh, a victory, um, which was a second half victory, and so it, it wasn't quite it wasn't quite clear if we were back on track, if you like. Yeah. And the, and the nature of the Everton game wasn't that convincing in terms of our performance, even though we clearly dominated two thirds of the game. But it, the only way we could have got out, if this makes sense, everybody, the only way we could have got out of that, if it wasn't a convincing victory, was a ninety fourth minute winner, which makes everybody just you know. 
it's like a shot of adrenaline for everybody and especially the club as well and the team. I mean, Spurs have had a result like this quite recently. Uh, Paul turning around, 1-0 down against West Ham to 2-1. Uh, sorry, was it 3-2? 3-2. It was 2-1 down and 3-2 in the end. Mm. And that it, I mean, since then, I'd say, you know, I, I, in this vein, Spurs' results have, broadly speaking, improved. Since then, the, 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 those sorts of wins are big for football clubs. Definitely. I mean, we've had our fair share of uh, late wins last season, which kind of propelled us to, to where we got. It almost like gave us a platform to sort of push on after Christmas because... We, we kept getting late wins um, and I, I feel you know from our own point of view the same thing you know it's, it's all sort of like happening again the way that our, our seasons panned out but definitely those I, I, what my observations from that game uh, as a neutral observer was um, it was almost like when you see a boxing match between uh, you know a, a real slugger that could knock you out if you're not careful uh, against a boxer who's got more skills and you know a lots more on their on the lock end. It's almost like you took all their punches in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes, and it was like, right, is that all you've got? Right, we're going to start to impose ourselves now, and eventually, um, you know, turned it around until you got the knockout blow uh, at the end. Um, and I thought you ran out worthy winners. I was really impressed with um, Wijnaldum uh, mm. in, in his role. I thought he was composed. I thought he ran the game without being outstanding in the sense of being an amazing playmaker but everything he'd done he'd done well and it, you know played the right passes when he needed to play it kept the ball when he needed to play it and I thought he, he was he was outstanding um, on the other hand Mike uh, we come up against the Soak City side we yeah. turned up at half time against Leicester a Leicester City side down to 10 men in controversial circumstances mm. and who by all accounts I didn't see the game so we've got to be careful but who by all accounts just simply was not able to put the foot down and dismiss the side who were down to 10 uh, it was just left going for it couldn't pick them off couldn't make it three didn't make the changes to go for the jugular uh, let the game get away from them and, and conceded an equaliser that all the Stoke support well the, the Stoke supporter I've, I'm, we're going to speak to in a minute uh, when he spoke to us earlier in the week all, all felt it was the, the goal was inevitable mm. uh, Stoke Twitter we, me, me, and, me and John find ourselves quite active in Stoke Twitter and we both noticed that they were all saying whilst the game was going on it's coming this equaliser's coming we're not doing anything to stop this we're not doing anything to make it 3-1 mm. and that's what happened to them they're coming into it off the back of feeling like they've, they've dropped two points and they're absolutely huge yeah Stoke just feel like a Mark Hughes side now I am um, I think when Mark Hughes has been anywhere for a certain amount of time, they just—I mean, a, t a team is uh, you know carries the DNA of its manager, but it's just—it's just pure Mark Hughes. It, you know, he—he he, he might have a streaky run in a season, Mark Hughes, with a team, and he'll put some big scores together, but they'll always finish in about the same place as teams. Even if he had City, they're finishing in the same place under Mark Hughes, and Stoke are a team where they're going to come to Anfield. Mark Hughes is going to be Mark Hughes on the touchline. Um, they're going to try and be physical with to Liverpool. Lots of crosses into the box that you know that the, the t that people naively think now that that's the way to play to play against Liverpool. But I don't honestly, I don't think they've got anything in their locker to challenge us to, to hurt Liverpool. I know they might want a response and all that, but I just think this is a Mark Hughes team. And the level that they can punch at is not enough in order to damage us. Yeah, I mean, on any given day, anyone can be anyone. So, you know, always keep that in mind. But I, I would say that, 
Yeah, he's very Pardew-esque in the sense of, you know, he, he does seem to have streaks where the team does really, or, or, or patches, not so much lots of wins and lots of lo losses, but, you know, draws and, and losses and then draws and wins, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I think, is it, am I right in thinking Anatovic is suspended? Anatovic is suspended, yes. You know, and he's, for me, he's their player that if, if I had to choose one of their players that I'd, I, I wouldn't mind in my team, he'd probably probably be the one um, but you know I think you should have enough to beat them to be honest uh, why don't we find out what Elliot Hackney thinks Spare Pit TV's Elliot Hackney here he is yeah, joined now by Elliot Hackney we had him on earlier this week on the coach home because Stoke was just so interesting it really is quite interesting at the moment it's always that moment when, when, when patience seems to ebb with a football team or a manager always grabs me as interesting and I hope you do the side of that to a certain extent now Elliot it's you know Stoke are a, they're, they're a good side they've got good players there's there's it, the frustration really is that they went, they didn't see that result out against Leicester. It's happened too often, and that the in general sort of ever so slightly underperforming is all that fair. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. I mean, the the real the real uh, thing that struck a chord and made the supporters most angry was Mark Hughes' tactical nous and you know not making the stubs that has just seemed to happen so often this season and so often in his his reign uh, to put it to put it quite simply, and you know it. It's just sent some fans over the edge. It's not myself. I'm, I'm willing to sort of stick it out and see what happens after the Christmas period. And, you know, in January, the window's quite going to be quite big for us. But, yeah, some fans have really been pushed over the edge by that, that last game against Leicester. It's, I mean, it is a strange thing. It is, the, it, it's, uh, it is what you want from your football team, and that's the, that's the kicker, really. And as I say, I think it's something that at times people sort of misunderstand. It's not, it, you know, Stoke supporters aren't sitting around thinking they should be challenging for top four. It's just that that's... All the way through the season, there's been no real sort of proper run of results. There's been there was there was a slight run that sort of surged up the table from the bottom three, but you know since then, you're looking at the last six, it's draw, defeat, win, win, defeat, draw, draw, and and that's you know it is this sort of it, it's just a strange sort of season that, that you got locked into. But you 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 always want to feel as though football teams are moving forward. Yeah, exactly. I mean. Some people, you know, some people and some fans are saying, you know, we should be grateful for what we've got. We should be grateful for being in the Premier League, you know, and mid-table and consolidating that position in ninth every season. But you know, you, you want to see some sort of success and some sort of progression, and you know, that doesn't seem like it will happen at the moment when Mark Hughes has, you know, a winless run of seven games at the start of every season. It just, um, you know, we want to see something change, and uh, and when fans see things that are just happening over and over again, a bit sort of groundhog day like Arsenal, for example, the same sort of season again and again. And, you know, in, in similarities to Arsenal, fans calling for Arsene Wenger's head, there is a, a, a bit of that about at the moment with Mark Hughes. There's, just on the, the sort of the, the, what's coming up before we talk about this game at the weekend, what occurs to me is home against Wolves in the FA Cup sort of becomes a huge game in that. I think that, you know, there's, and I, it always surprises me whenever I see sort of managers of, of, of comfortable mid-table sides, and I think that's what Stoke are when you see them sort of make a couple of changes and weaken for the FA Cup. It always surprises me in that, you know, if anything, there's a strong argument that if you are Stoke and if, if, you, if, you, if you're Stoke this season, if you're Southampton, if you're West Brom, if you're Everton, that the, the, the argument is, will go all out to win that that everyone to take 14th rather than 9th everyone to take 14th in the FA Cup or an FA Cup run or an FA Cup final ahead of you know people would take that adventure ahead of just sort of plodding along and you know that that's coming up there and, and, and last season Hughes talked about Stoke wanting to be a side that gets to the semi-finals of things on a season by season basis and this is obviously the last opportunity to do that this season and it, it is going to be a huge thing for him isn't it the FA Cup 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'd like to see Marquise go as strong as possible in that competition to whoever we get in any round. You know, I'd like to see him mm. take it really seriously and try and, you know, push for another sort of cup semi-final at, at most. You know, we'd, we'd take a trip out to Wembley as, you know, a sort of success for the season because that's sort of what you have to, thought that it's sort of things you, you look, really look forward to as a, as a mid-table side. They, those are your few chances of glories and big memories, you know, when you are finishing ninth every season. So, with Mark Hughes, I, I hope he does take it seriously. It's, a, it's a, I don't want to say a tricky game, but you know it's considered a derby, so all form will pr- practically go out the window as it's a, a Midlands derby against Wolves, and it's at home. But again, I'd, I'd like to see Mark Hughes take that as seriously as possible and put out a strong side just to get the job done. What, when, when I've saw Stoke this season, I've seen a fair bit of you, and at times I think you played some really, really good stuff. What, but one of the things that's, that that's occurred to me, sort of watching Stoke through the games, is. He's still not got centre forward sort of sorted out. He's not got his front three or his front four entirely sorted out. There's there's obviously really good players there, but it's still not not clear at all who sort of who's who Hughes is going to for this. John Walters has had the last couple of games. Uh, Bojan sort of re-emerged. Boney can't seem to get him going. Shakiri was on the bench against Leicester. Crouch has even had a couple of games that you wouldn't necessarily have expected him to have. Juve appears to be playing much more over towards the right. It's, it struck me as all the way through the season, that whilst there's been an aspect of the side that's functioning really, really well, it's just not quite clear who's who's, who's going to be doing who's doing the business end for Stoke. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where, right, where our main issue really lies. You thought when he got Boney on loan, that would have been it, and our problems would have been solved, but... Bernie was in some dire form. He got the two goals against Swansea, and that's about been it. Um, he goes back to the African Cup of Nations in January. Mamadouf goes there. Um, so that's two strikers sort of gone, even though Mamadouf's been playing out on the on the right. And, you know, that does leave us with that. leaves us with John Walters and Crouch up to lead the line, um, and Bojan maybe in a false nine formation. It, it doesn't really give us many options at all, and I'd, I'd really like to see Hughes go out there and sort that out in January. And, I've got absolutely no doubt that that'll be a, a fourth attempt at getting Berahino in, who's not getting in at West Brom, um, because Hughes was, had, it, had his heart set on him. We actually made a £20 million bid last transfer window that was rejected, and with him not featuring at all for West Brom, it seems, this season, I think that's going to be Hughes' target. And I, do you know what? I'd, I'd take him. I'd like to just get, a, get someone in who can permanently lead that line. It, it, it's just sort of getting that situation boxed, isn't it, more than anything else? I mean, it, it's a funny thing to say, and that better, you know, he's, he's, he's been, you're not quite clear on how good he is yet. Yeah. But you'd almost just like to sort of say, well, we're going to do this for, for the next 12 games, and everyone knows we're going to do this for the la- for the next 12 games, and then we'll see. Yeah, exactly, 100%. I mean, it, sometimes you just worry about what's going on. I mean, we let Hosselu go in, in, in the summer. He's on loan at Deportivo, and, you know, he's been banging them in for him. He scored two against Real Madrid at the weekend, and one of them was an absolute screamer, and... He never really got a clear run in the side. Like again, Mark Hughes just loves to chop and change. Whether it's Jocelyn, whether then he sticks crouching up front for a game, or John Waters, we never have one consistent run of a team or a striker. Um, and it, you know that's been ever present this season. We've switched from three at the back to four to one up top to to no 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 you know recognisable striker. So yeah, it, it, we just like to see some consistency and a real plan that we we'll stick stick to. Uh, and no, uh, on out of it for the weekend. He's still suspended, I think, for the next two. Um, so he, he he can't feature. And he's been a pretty consistent sort of uh, perf- both performer and uh, and and selection for Hughes as well. So it, that that little bit of stability that there has been up there, which is that he he'll, he'll feature on either flank. That's gone. Yeah, that's gone. Um, so what we've been doing for the past couple of games is John Walters up top. Um, 
which you know isn't the strongest of striking options. I mean, I've, I've in Liverpool the next game, which we're obviously here to talk about. I've I've got the horrible, horrible feeling it's going to be a repeat of the Capital One. Not to say horrible, we won the game in normal time, but I really got the feeling it's going to be Crouch up top uh, to sort of ping the ball into him, revert back to that sort of style that we tried to get away from and to rub it in our faces. The Stoke City social accounts this week have done a Crouch week recovering the life and times of Peter Crouch. So <laughs> I've, got, I've got this horrible feeling that he's going to be leading the line. So do you th- do you, if I go through sort of the side that played against uh, against Leicester and, and shift from there, do you expect it to be... Uh, I, I still th- uh, Butland's not expected to quite make it back yet, is he? It's still The, the expectation is still grand. Yeah, he's actually been... It's been reported by the Telegraph breaking news last night that he's expected for another two to three months, which is a real blow. I mean, I, I feel like there's a real something being kept under the carpet there about Jack Butland. He's, he's, he was supposed to return out for the under-23s a week ago or so. Then we were told that it was just a week setback and now it's two to three months and he's had an operation. So I feel like there's something really going on there and I don't, I don't honestly expect to see him again this season. So Grant Ingall, who struggled, he struggled with headers this season. He's conceded a lot of the goals he's conceded have been aerial balls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, apart from those, though, he has been pretty solid for us. We've only conceded six in the last ten, and there's been five clean sheets. So, yeah. Lee, Lee Grant for us is someone that we need to get pinned down in January because he leaves in January. He's only on loan for six months. And Darby are asking for four million, but I think we should just stump up for that in this day and age and just pay, even though he's 33. Just get it done and move from yeah, there. Uh, expectation is it'll be Johnson at right back, Peters at left back, Shawcross and Martin. Martin's yeah. in the centre half. Not seeing any changes from that one. Yeah, I don't expect anything to change there at all. Uh, and then in midfield, in Bueller, Whelan and, and Allen, are they likely to be the, fo- the three in the, in the middle of the park? Yeah, I'd expect that. And then probably to finish off the rest, Allen, uh, Allen Shakiri, and uh, Peter Crouch leading the line. Okay. Uh, and Bojan as well? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, of course. There's no Bojan, yeah. In there. <laughs> yeah. Bojan in the back of midfield. Or maybe out to the left, depending on whether him or Alan wants to, you know, how they want to play that and who wants to be the more defensive. Probably Alan because he works harder and he'll get about the pitch. Um, what we, uh, what's your prediction then for the game? Um, I'm, I've got to be honest, I'm not going into this very um, optimistic at all. I, I, I think we'd be lucky to get a point from either our, either of both our Christmas fixtures, mm. away to Liverpool and away to Chelsea. So I, I have to be honest, and I think it'll be maybe a. 2-0, 3 one went to Liverpool. OK, thank you very much, Elliot. Uh, and we'll sh- shoot back off and find out what everyone else thinks. I love things that wreck heads. Paul Cope, uh, you've made it into joiners, and I love things that wreck heads. And what's wrecked heads is... I think sometimes people, the media find themselves, the mainstream media, and you, you, you're troubled using that term. I don't mean it as a derogatory thing. MSM. Really. Yeah, I don't mean it's a derogatory thing in this context, but what I mean is that, that for instance, if Stoke lose in three games' time, uh, or they go on a bad run and they lose, they lose two or three games, then people, the, the, the thing will be, oh, the, 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 the fans have run out of patience with Mark Hughes. Whereas, after those defeats, whereas sometimes you can be a football manager and the people who aren't sure about you, it only takes a 2-0 against a 2-2 where they feel as though you fall into every single one of their criticisms. You don't go for the throw. You don't make the attack and substitution. You don't go and turn 2-0 into 2-2. In, in, sorry, 2-0 into 3-0 against a side that's down to 10 men when you're at home. All of that sort of stuff. A side that hadn't hadn't picked up a single point, I think, away from home in the Premier League this apart season. Apart from at Spurs, actually. Apart from at Spurs, sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, that they, they suddenly get to, get to score two goals second half in your gaff. And it just everyone's worst fears about what's happening at the club happen. And that's what's happened to Stoke there. They're absolutely demoralised after that, after that result against Leicester. 
Yeah, it's it's one of my favourite things about footy. And I don't know whether it's like a, a time of life thing or you just get to a certain age and you realise this stuff. But so much of so much of what we look at is just nonsense. And I, I often think it'd be really interesting. I'm actually considering doing coaching badges to try and just get inside. You're on the inside track of just having a chat with coaches and managers about what they think of it all. Because if, if you even think about the derby on Monday night, Think about the way we've, you know, we did the Tuesday review and the way we've talked about the whole game and how great we were and how we wore them down. And that's just because we scored the goal where we hit the post and it felt sad. And even the Manny thing, we're all saying, isn't he great at anticipating it? After the game, Manny said, I was just lucky. There's other lads who run different directions and we say they didn't anticipate it as well. Mm. Manny says, I, basically, I just guessed. And we all go, he didn't though, did he? He, he knows how to read the spin of a ball off a post. And I he's, don't know. Uh, there's That's a famous, uh, there's a famous coaching. Um, who was that famous US? Johnny Blair. No, the US football coach. He said the harder I practice, the luckier I get. Well, that was yeah, Blair as well. But my, well, it? but yeah. my, I, I heard a, a, a slight change in that quote a few weeks ago, and I, it's my new favourite one because I used to be a massive fan of that quote. Yeah. But I heard this guy say, um, "The harder you work, the luckier you get." Same but there thing. is still luck. <laughs> And that's the reality. There is still luck. There, there is mm. so much in football that I, one of my favourite ones. This is completely off topic, but um, I love looking back at it's, you know, the, the run to Istanbul. And there's so many things in that run. That good Johnson shot in the semi-final against Chelsea still goes in every time I watch it. In my head, I just think from here, how does he not score? I and mean, even when you watch the flight of the ball and it's it misses like I think it's Carragher arches by an inch. It misses Drogba by an inch, and it hits any one of these people. History has changed. Mm. Now that's got nothing to do with other, anything other than blind luck. De Bruyne missed that, hit the bar against Chelsea the other week. It's got nothing to do with Chelsea being a good a good defence. It's got nothing to do with them being solid. It's got nothing to do with Conte. Mm. Nothing. All it's got to do with is De Bruyne cocked up his shot. Mm. And the reality is, from Chelsea's perspective, that is just blind luck. And there'll be loads of stuff that managers like Hughes will say. They'll get the lads in the dressing room and say, don't worry about, don't worry about this. Whatever's just happened, that, that was just bad luck. I, would, I think I might have written something on this a while ago about um, a famous, famous basketball coach in America who talked about when he coached his teams, he wouldn't even look at the scoreboard at the end. He would, he would criticise them or compliment them based on how well they put in place the plan. Do you know what, though? What you're saying, it's, it's, it's why momentum is the most important thing in football. Momentum. You can, you can tell how a team is going to play or how a result is going to go. Pretty much... 80-20 rule by the way they are in form or in momentum and form is momentum and it's got nothing to do with uh, the individual things like you say whether you choose to run that way or choose to run that way when you've got momentum it's kind of like a 12th man it's it's just you, you, things happen for you but along with that momentum you. is confidence yeah. you know, that's yeah. the big one yeah. because you know you can be the same person and perform completely differently yeah. if you're not confident. You, yeah. know? It, 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 you know, you see it, we see it all the time when teams go on runs and they look unbeatable. We've both had it with our own teams. Mm -hmm. But then you've seen, if you go back, you can, you've had periods where you just can't buy a win. Mm -hmm. You're doing exactly the same things, but, you know. You've seen what happens when you come off those runs. I think that's one of the things. You've seen what happens, Liverpool got beat by Bournemouth and then the next game was at home to West Ham. 
and at home to West Ham they, they don't get what they want and this is this is my big thing coming into this game for Stoke there's lots of ways in which Stoke can get a result and he can still get a result but one of the things here is Liverpool are coming this is why I, I, I introduced that this way the in the first part winner. that Liverpool are coming off the back of a 94th minute against the local Derby rivals winner. that is momentum Stoke are coming off the back mm. of 2-0 up at half time against 10 men going down in the end getting a point yes. and, and a, a, a draw that feels not just like a defeat but like a bad defeat yeah and, and, 90, and like I said that's what I was trying to explain before which is kind of weird because you weren't here and 94th minute winner in a derby is like winning 6-0 it has the same kind of effect in terms of your momentum and your form I don't, I'd argue we were talking with. about this after the match I'd argue it's better we're all well, talking after way, the game is it are, are you, would you prefer to win 5-0 or mm. would you prefer to win 1-0 in the last, with a last minute winner mm. and the the euphoria mm. in fans with that yeah. last minute winner is just yeah, we, I remember the players and with players they've got shared experiences absolutely. now they've got you know the Liverpool have won 5-0 5-1 6-1 the and it's that and it's that dogging it out as well yeah. and, and getting, that, getting that kind of win is kind of there's different types of wins isn't there it's like you've got the full house now you've got the you hammer them you have to dog it out in the 94th minute you know but yeah, there's, a, there's a count, sorry there's a counter argument to this as well though because what's led to our last two performances where we've been really impressed is we've learnt lessons from the two previous performances where we've not done the things we should have done or could have done mm-hmm. and and footballers it I think we didn't discuss this with Sean the other day it would have been an interesting one to talk about for football managers I would imagine it's easier to be able to go to your team see that clear example of that thing that we did wrong don't do that again and this is how we don't do that again so it, it could work the other way for yeah, I, I, I've got some views on that. If you remember Leicester last season, um, at the beginning of the season, really going up to sort of November, December time, they were con- they were conceding, you know, a lot of goals um, and grinding out wins, coming back from two 0 down to get a yeah. draw, coming down, coming back from that were known as a sort of a comeback team, which is what they were doing, kind of like the the back tail end of the season before, and then all of a sudden. It just started, they just started to shut up shop and clean sheets started to happen. It was almost as if to say, Ranieri looked at it and said, look, you, you know, if we are attacking, there's nothing wrong with that. If we can shore up at the back, we've got a chance here. Mm. All of a sudden, clean sheets come. And, you know, after Christmas, we saw what happened, you know, something like four or five, six games, one nil in a row or something mm-hmm. like that, you know. So, you know. I think about the, the other thing, though, you, you said before about the, what happens to Spurs last season is those last minute winners. And you begin to think you can get them. And I always remember when people talk about 08 09. Liverpool win a lot of games in the last five minutes of 08 09 under Benitez. There's a lot of, for instance, there's a lot. Portsmouth is one where Liverpool win the game 3 2. I think they go to Manchester City and a 2 0 down at half time, get one back, Man City get a man sent off, and they get two in the last 10 minutes. And, but it's easy to say, on the one hand, there, well, you know, there's reasons for that, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is, and this is the, this is the key thing, Mike, and it, it it's not a factor necessarily, it hopefully might not be a factor for Stoke, but it might be for Manchester City. Mm. It's that the players, once you do that, that sort of thing once and then you do it again yeah, but a lot of these it. players they, they're thinking well we, we know how to do this boys we've done this we know how good players are we know we're still going to be there for us and, and Spurs had it last season as well and, and it, it really can it can it can help you turn a lot of games that look like they're turning into draws into victories it's a self, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and and the opposition are thinking it as well yeah exactly But and there's a couple of things reasons behind it as well and one of the big ones is definitely fitness and I think teams know that Liverpool are probably the fittest team in the league and that, <coughs> that's why you see a profile. <laughs> well, Liverpool or Spurs, probably. Well, yeah. probably it, seriously, well, you could argue Spurs as well, fine. Yeah. But, but it, and you can see that in the profile of our games, and it's something that I do want to see us address because it's starting to, I'm starting to get a bit wary of it. We seem to, we're definitely becoming a second-half team, we are. And I think that's 
the reason for that primarily is teams know that the time to get at us is the first 20 minutes, basically, when they are on, when they're fit and they're on fire. And so we're seeing, I don't know if everyone else has clocked this, we, we can be quite sloppy for the first 20 minutes of a game and it takes us about 10 to 15 before half time and we start getting our game together. And then typically in the second half, Bournemouth aside, we usually annihilate the teams in the second half. And that is definitely a fitness thing. And then the self-fulfilling prophecy thing, great teams always score late goals. When we were at our pump, I always knew we were going to score at the end of the game, the last five minutes, 10 minutes. We always seemed to score in the 80th to 90th minute, always. And if you remember them down there, the M62, they always scored late goals. And it was the other team knew it was coming and they knew they could do it. And Ferguson said that was that we were the fittest team in the league. You know, it, it, that was his basic thing that he built it on. Mm. Yeah. Yep. It's the first thing that happens. Um, Joe Allen's coming back, uh, which is nice. And mm. it is nice in the sense of the fact that He's gone to Stoke, clearly proven that he's a good footballer. We're not missing him particularly, uh, but he scored himself a few goals. He looks tidy. He just looks like looks like the he looks like Stoke's best player because he probably is Stoke's best player. Yeah, and I, and I, I saw him get an interviewed earlier in the season after he'd gone in his first scoring run, and he was saying, which I think echoing what we all said, which was it seems to be one of those transfers that works for everyone. Mm. Everyone's happy with it, and I've seen a few murmurs of when he started scoring goals and playing well. Oh, we shouldn't have let, let him go, but. The reality is he wouldn't. He'd have he'd have been in the same position for us as he was last season. He wouldn't have got into our first choice midfield three or further up the pitch where he's been playing for Stoke. So it's it's done him the world a good. I think lots of us by the he was obviously a bit of a, a cult hero by the end, and I think people appreciate him for what he is. I I would actually be a little bit worried about his impact potentially on us because we saw the other night what impact it can ha- it could have by Barkley occupying Henderson quite a lot. And Alan, Alan would do that job much better than Barkley would, in my opinion. I think he's he's much better at snapping around the heels. So it'll be really interesting to see. It could almost be one of those actually where Barkley's given Henderson a bit of practice for facing Alan because if he if he thinks Alan's going to be playing in that position, he's going to be expecting to have a bit of a tough game on on the weekend. He definitely plays him further forward at Stoke. Yeah, than he ever did at Liverpool. Which is strange because when Rogers bought him, he, he was going on about how dynamic he is around yeah. the box, and he never ever played in there. Yeah, <laughs> you know? And so then, obviously, when it's you know towards the end, he, it was too late for him. Then you know, he, and he spent three years at uh, you know defensive mid. So when he's now done at Stoke, he's playing where Rogers said he was mo- he was supposed to play, and he's he's clearly good at it because he has got he is quite nippy. He's got mm-hmm. he's, he's a good player, Joe Allen, but you know, was he was he good enough for Liverpool? And I don't want to be ultra critical here, but. Perhaps he's found his kind of level, you know. Some players just kind of... It's a bit... I can align it to probably Gilfie Sigerson at the time with Spurs. Mm -hmm. We had Gilfie and we had um, Christian Eriksen and it was like, which one are we going to keep? Can't Mm -hmm. keep them both. Mm -hmm. Gilfie had to go. But, you know, looking... You know, now I'd have Gilfie back in a a heartbeat. Um, But it's the same way that... It it worked out for everybody at the time Mm -hmm. that he went. Nobody was was unhappy about it. It's a really interesting thing, actually, on him. I'll go back to you, actually, uh, cope on this one. I would never have thought he necessarily had to be the sort of player who's the best player in the team. But it might actually be that he is that sort of player. You'd have thought, you know, he's all very into facilitating and bringing other people into play and so on. But it might actually suit him. And that's why, you know, Paul Dehaney could be right in terms of... Be the main man. Needs to always be the main man, and that's and you would never have thought that from the entire time he was at Liverpool, the way in which he went about his business. But that you think about him now when he was at Swansea, and he was the main man at Swansea. He was the main man at Swansea. Mm. He's the main man at Stoke. Yeah, it's funny that that's the next thing you've said because that's literally what I was just thinking. Then as Paul was speaking, it and and Sigurdsson the same thing. There's 
there are a number of players like this who who thrive with that responsibility. Mm. But it's and it sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? But that's fine. But they also know their own level. So when Sigurdsson comes into a team and Eriksson's there, mm. he's probably thinking, "I'm not quite as good as Eriksson, so I can't be his boss." Yeah, yeah. And Alan's doing the same thing when he's got. The, oh, yeah, the like Gerard around yeah, yeah. Suarez around him. He's thinking, yeah. well, I've just got to know my place in this team. Yeah. Whereas when he goes into a team where he can be the He's big man and he can go, look, I, I am the but best. It's, player it's not in like the he never had goal scoring opportunities for Liverpool because he missed some absolute open goals. Yeah. Because he obviously didn't back himself. But that's another comment that goes back to the confidence. Yeah, he didn't point, back doesn't it? himself. Remember the one against Everton. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, us then looking at us, um, Sturridge and Chan. Back in the shake-up, it's interesting, isn't it, Mike, as to how much fitness you think both of them may well have. If it, I, I still don't think, I don't think if that, if, if the results hadn't gone the way they went at the weekend and that wasn't the Merseyside derby, I, I suspect we may not even have seen Sturridge and Chan on the bench on Monday. But on, on the 27th, they've, got, they've had another week. They've, mm. had, they've got 15 minutes in the legs. They've had another week. And it's just nice to have, for the manager to be able to turn around, look at a bench and go, oh, those lads are good, just as a starting point. It's not, it's not just that they're good as well. Um, and you know, and, and you can have your own opinion on who's the better, you know, who's the better of the two, and all that kind of stuff, or how good they actually are. But, for, but what they do offer is something different, which is who's important for us because we we are, with, especially with Coutinho out, we're kind of we've got one way of playing, really. If you look at, in terms of our front three and midfield three, and it's difficult to change that around. And the difference with Sturridge is Sturridge has a shot. He has a go, and you know it's, he's not been that successful lately, but he still does that, and that's why that's why we score. But but he was the only one on the team who's doing that. Without Sturridge coming on the pitch, we don't win that game because nobody else is going to try and do what he does and shoot. Even though he, it doesn't matter that he misses it, it's the fact that he does that and he'll do that and he'll make a change because. You know, it frustrates me a little bit about Origi and even Henderson because they've got really good shots on them, but they hardly ever do it. They don't back themselves. There's one thing Sturridge isn't is short on confidence. He'll have a go from anywhere. Um, and, you know, you need to bring be able to bring that to, to mix it up a bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm more pleased that Sturridge is available than Chan, if I'm honest, because mm. cause I don't... Chan has different, slightly different qualities. Like, for instance, when he did, he did a great track back and tackle in, in the Everton game. But he's he's not as different as Henderson and Wijnaldum is than Sturridge is to the rest of our front three. So I think he's, that's more key for us. Yeah, I mean, when uh, Rio and I were watching the, the game, uh, the derby match, we were sort of saying, need to bring Sturridge on now. Just not necessarily because he's going to score, because but what he will do is he have it in defence will think, oh no, Sturridge is on. It's almost like it just adds that fear factor. And he, even though he never scored, we knew that if something did happen, he was going to have a hand in it. Uh, and, and so it proved. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with what Mike says. I think you need those options on the bench. I think when you've got a fully fit squad or almost fully fit squad and you can call upon any player surely that's going to lift the players that are on the pitch as well. Because mm. if they know, they give anything less than 100%, they've got a, a more than a better replacement coming in. There's that, but there's also the fact that, you know, there's, there's two players who come off when Sturridge and Chan come on, but there's nine other players on the pitch going, like the Sturridge is coming on here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, if, and even if, you, you know, you were right to say before, Vinaldo had a really good game, yeah. but even Vinaldo's turning and thinking, I've got, a new fr- I've got fresh legs next to me now and yeah. sitting it. Mm-hmm. And that, that it, it's, it's that moment, I think, Paul, uh, which, which made a massive difference. And I, I think in general, it makes a massive difference. When, you know, when Ben will burn as exciting as he is, when he's coming on, they're all thinking to themselves, right, we've got to help this lad through the game. But when Daniel Sturridge is coming on, they're looking at him going, he's going to help us through the rest of this game. And that's a, a completely different dynamic. 
Well, it goes back to what we've di- we've discussed b- before about United and City and, and teams like that. And this is why this, this is why I always get frustrated in summers when we're buying players and you hear fans saying, "Well, he won't get in the first 11. And you're like, "Well, but that's the whole point of this is it's, it's a squad game. And when we're playing the likes of City and United in, in years gone by, 13, 14, perfect example. And they're looking at their bench and they're bringing on international footballers who you'd have in your first team. And we're looking at the bench and going, should we bring on Aspas or should we, should we leave it? And the manager's basically going every time, I'll just leave it, lads. Because I'd rather have an 80%, 70% fit Sturridge and Suarez on the pitch than 100% fit Aspas. And being able to do the opposite completely changes the dynamics of the whole squad because you've already seen this week. And I think that the, the great thing about what we've got now compared to what we had in the past when Sturridge was injured and it was a bit of a, we need him back desperately. Your players, the way people would talk about it, fans would talk about, we desperately need Sturridge back. It's a completely different thing now. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a it's a much more positive thing. It's Henderson talking about it going, oh, it's great to have Sturridge back. But it's not a it's not a desperation thing. It's just, it's just a very nice option to have. And you've got to look at it from both sides as we, as we often always do. Look at the, the players on the on the opposition. The the reality is when you're playing Stoke, they haven't got those options on the bench. Mm. They haven't got Daniel Sturridge to bring on. They've, to be fair to them, they've got a decent squad now, but they've they've not performed the way you, I think we probably all expected. Well, it was to. like Everton the other night. They brought on the youngster mm. um, with 15, 20 minutes to go. Cavett Lewis. Yeah, and as good as you know, he made a little cameo maybe in the Man United game uh, before that, and you know looked a bit lively, but. For me, it almost uh, you know it almost worked against them it because did. if anything, waves of attack started coming. He's he's a striker by nature, and he brings on a right midfielder, which I found bizarre. You know, I thought they should have brought on someone like Morales, some of the bit of Premier League know-how in a, such a game mm. of importance because that could have contributed to them actually yeah, losing I think, the game. I, I you know? That was really interesting, Paul. That because I was not. I think it's one thing to bring on a young lad, certainly with, with the sort of build that that lad's got, and tell him to go and rattle them, rattle them about a bit up front. But that's not what he did. He mm. basically ended up having to go right, man-to-man with, yeah. with Jamie yeah. Milner, yeah, yeah. who's a very clever player. Well, they, and I was watching that thinking, well, this is this is a bit... It's not good for that lad. If that lad just goes up front no. and he's told, use your pace, use, use your size, Th- that's the only reason, to pull them around. That's the only way that, that substitution makes sense. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's a gamble. It's, yeah. a, it's a throw of the dice to go, yeah. this, you know... Could go anywhere. This could be like a Macheda type thing. Just yeah. throw them on and you know, take everyone by surprise. Yeah. But uh, not I, to, not to put, put them in a, in a in a disciplined, dogged position. Yeah. I actually felt I felt really sorry for him, oh, and, yeah, and be, but because he was being put up against James Milner. You could you could have put him on, in some other positions on the pitch, and, and I wouldn't have felt as sorry for him. But James Milner almost had a look on his face, like, "Oh, mate, you're you're nowhere near experience." Did he send him into next week with a little uh, dummy as well? Yeah. And he's got no pace. This lad's yeah, much yeah. faster than him, and he, but he couldn't live with him. And that was yeah. the thing because he just he just mm. thought his way through the football match. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Um, do you think there'll be changes for Liverpool, or do you think no. they'll go with the? Do you think it'll be? Start with me on this one. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um, the, the only way there could be change is, is there's a couple of players who are out of form for Liverpool right now. You know, Firmino had to be dragged through that game because I don't think I can barely remember a decent, you know, something that worked for him. And it's not because he wasn't putting the effort in or he wasn't working, but it's just, you know, some, those kind of players. They, he they he go, might just need a bit of time off. They go for, exactly, yeah. And maybe he just wants his Christmas at home. He doesn't like it. It's too cold. But um, I think there's a, there's a, he's not playing. And I also think Origi's out of form as well. Even though he's been scoring, it sounds counterintuitive. But he didn't, have a, he didn't play well against Everton. Um, and so there, there's a, there is... And, and I think players like Sturridge need, need, need game time. You can't get your form back in training. So there is an argument to say he might play Sturridge, I think, in this one. 
Um, and then after Firmino fully fit for the City yeah, game on the yeah. 30th. And then play, play Sturridge and, and Arigi and then bring them off after 60, something like that. There's a potential for doing that. Would you do that? Yeah. You, told I you, would. you just talked yourself into it there. But, yeah, but, no, I would, but I don't think he will. I don't think he will. No, I don't, I don't think, think he will. will, but I think, but I would. Uh, and do you, think he, he, I, do you think he'll have the attitude with, uh, towards Matip of... Do you know what? It's a tough one because he, he was outstanding, Clavin. You know, and as good and so and Matip's been outstanding as well. But you can't deny that Lovren and Matip were imperious in that game against you know a very very difficult muscular centre forward um, who who St- and Stoke will play in a similar manner as well. And I just thought his timing was outstanding, Clavin. Like I said, you know, you don't get to be Estonia's player of the year for 116 years for nothing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, Matip fully fit then? Now? Well, the, 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 uh, it seems as though whatever it is he's got, it doesn't seem as bad as, but it doesn't seem completely different to what Henderson last year. It appears that until whatever it is sorts itself out, he's going to be playing through discomfort one way or the other. So I think they're just managing it is the the, the impression that you get. So it might be that they, they manage it into thinking, well, you know what, we think we can probably get away with without using you against City, sorry, without using you against Stoke, yeah. we'll bring you back for City. Yeah. That, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if that's if that's what he's thinking. Okay. What would you do? I'm not sure. I think it's really interesting because there's also factoring in, I was thinking about Mane after the game because obviously there's, there's talk now when the build-up to him going off for the, the Cup of Nations. And I was wondering how, how, do you, how do you approach dealing with someone's like Mane's fitness? Do you, as, as LFC, do you say, what's in, is, is what's in LFC's best interest to play him every game now, knowing that he could play, I don't, I don't know how many games there are in the Cup of Nations, but it's, if it's there's like any group, other there's tournament, a there's a group and then they're, they're one of the favourites so they're likely to go through. So he's, they're not going to do us any favours by resting many of those games. So if we play him in all, all these games and then he goes and gets to the final of the Cup of Nations, he's going to come back knackered. But we so, don't get him injured though. Well, there's, a, there's another tactic, <laughs> yeah. isn't there? Yeah, it's cynical. Calf straight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think I, think, I think they will just keep playing him. I think that the, the funny one with Sturridge is, I actually think a front three of Sturridge, Firmino and Mane is more akin to what we're really good at doing than Origi in that central position. I think I think Origi struggles more to with the interplay. He plays Firmino in the central position, though, doesn't he? Yeah, but I think I think I think people because Sturridge just made comments about I want to play as a centre forward. People sort of jump down his throat about that, and mm. they, they talk as though he won't play out wide and won't interchange. But he did in thirteen fourteen. He has it whenever he's Origi does amongst. hold the ball up very well though out wide, and it's still a it's still a flexible front for him, mm. isn't it? It's still yeah. interchangeable. Yeah. I, I think, I just think Sturridge is better at your general, and I think it's still underrated in his game, is general interplay, is general dropping into midfield. When something um, Klopp talked about missing Coutinho is, we've now got three strikers playing up front who all want to be strikers. And that's, I would say if you're comparing directly Origi and Sturridge, you've got very much with Origi a centre forward who's trying to learn. When when we've done well against Middlesbrough and then in the second half against Everton, it was because Origi was doing better at interchanging positions and but it's you can see it's not something that sort of comes natural I, to him where I think with yeah. Sturridge he's more willing to interplay because because he wants to be on the ball more. I think they I think they are quite different players though they're completely different I, 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 do, he is very he is good at the channels he's very good at playing the channels Origi and he was it was it was as soon as he started to bulk up towards the middle you noticed it in the middle half of last season you could see he was adept at it and he can he can hold a lot of players off on a halfway line with his back to the way he wants to go but he didn't do that well the other night did he? no he didn't because he's not on form but I've seen him do it a lot and do it very well and that's not and, I, and he likes that Klopp 
because mm. it takes it takes opposition players out of the team. Another thing Klopp likes, he loves switching play. So he, players who stay out wide and hold up the play, he likes that. And that's why I think he that's why I think he's got a slight preference for Origi, or he has done when they've both been fit this earlier on this season. Sturridge is clearly if you're going to play with a, a centre forward striker, he's your man all day. You know, he's just better at it than everybody else in the team. But I think if he wants, I mean, Paul knows it, if he wants that interchangeability, I think that's why he has a slight preference for Origi, even though Sturridge is a better player than him. I think there's an argument if, if the side that you, you said before, Mike, if he goes in that direction, there's actually an argument to play Sturridge and Origi as a front two and effectively play Mane in behind and give him a free roll and play 4-3-1-2 and do that and almost get them to play as a front two. Because I think when you say before that about how different they are as players, mm. I think that's the case, but I don't often think it suits both of them. I, I think having, great, that, I having a player next to I don't think he'd do so it much better because he likes 4 3, three but I, I'd love to see it. Because, and especially with well, he's had a look at it, especially with Coutinho not Cup. being out. Yeah, that's what he's done in the League Cup and if he's looking to get Firmino a little bit more time away I think that could be the smart move he had a look at it in the League Cup just for this game but as I say I think I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see the direction he goes in I think you know it, I'm, I'm almost in a sense regardless of what he does you'd think Liverpool should have too much for Stoke but you never know because it's a game of football mm-hmm. but almost whichever whichever direction he goes in you'd think that that'd be fine are we all keeping the same midfield three? Yes Henderson, Vinaldum yeah. Lallana okay mm-hmm. yeah. um, do you give me a prediction then Paul first Cope I, um, I, I, I always, I said I was saying six one on Monday night, and I'm getting into that f- frame of mind now. Do, do where every time I, I, whenever someone says to me, "How will Liverpool get on?" My fit, I start at four <laughs> one, and I, and, and go better, four down. From last there. guy was on there said twelve nil for Sunderland, <laughs> so you're doing better than that. Um, a solid two nil. Solid two nil, Paul. Three uh, one. Do you want Mike? Uh, clean sheets and a Liverpool win. Okay. Um, Spurs then we've got Paul in um, since we last had you in Paul I'd say broadly speaking Spurs have won all the games they should win and they've lost at Old Trafford I think that's yeah and that, you know you alluded to it earlier Paul when you were talking about games where it's fine lines you know I, I actually thought we played really well and contained United pretty pretty much you know there wasn't they had their spurts where they had a few chances I'm not going to deny that but I thought in the general play we we played really well and if Wanyama scores an open goal from like you know four yards you know the game's a different story I thought mm. United kind of got a little bit too much credit for you know for a pretty abject performance you know I didn't think they were great at all um, as I said I think they played in spurts so I was disappointed to, to lose that and I also thought we played well at Chelsea as well you know we, we played them off the park in the first half we we're 1-0 up um, you didn't get the second that's Sorry, what kills you didn't get the second. What against yeah. Chelsea, what kills you is he didn't get the second. Yeah, when and you know I give it to Conte. You know he went in and he, and he changed his tactics accordingly, uh, and 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 shut us down. You know, so fair play to him. Um, but again, you know the two defeats that we have had this season, narrow defeats, and we could have still got something out of both games, which gives me pleasure. And what also gives me pleasure is that we are putting away the teams that back in you know going back two seasons ago. Um, you know. Burnley and um, who was the other game we had at home? I've forgotten it already. Swansea was one of them. Yeah. Uh, Hull and Burnley this week or last week, um, and that could have easily been you know one where we dropped a couple of points or you know drew one and won one or drew one and lost one, um, and we put in these teams away. I think we scored ten in those three games and conceded one. Um, so I'm quite happy with the fact that we're doing that. Now we've got a couple of tough games coming up away um, 
you know, any uh, uh, any game that's away from home in the Premier League to me is tough. Southampton just coming off of a, uh, a back of a good result. Jay Rodriguez getting back in form, so that's not going to be easy. And then Watford away after that. So, mm. but in the form we're in at the moment, um, I suspect we should get some a, a good points away out of those. Um, since I stuck the boot in, Ericsson's gone and from me, strength to strength. And me, and you, both yes, of us, yeah. we are literally we He's killed pinned, off his career. He has pinned our comments on the dressing room wall. I think mm. there. Uh, I think it's what, it's what he sees, looks at every day uh, before he comes in. Maybe plays the tape back on his car on his <laughs> way into training. Yeah. I'm going to stick it to these. Uh, he's been great. He's been outstanding. It was started in the Chelsea game really, and you know he's continued from there. And I think it's five in six games. So the goal return's gone up he's dominating games again he's linking up with um, Harry Kane and he's got really understanding with young uh, good understanding with young Harry Winks who's uh, sort of come from nowhere to, to, to look like a, I think you guys might have seen him at the um, the Liverpool Spurs game, the League he played, game yeah. and, he, and, he, and he looked you know, you could see he had something about him. We've all got World War Two names, your place. I know, haven't <laughs> <laughs> Lots of Harrys. Yeah. But uh, Harry Winks, I think his nickname's Forty or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've just made that up. I like yeah. it, it should be. Yeah, it should is. be, yeah. yeah. They're passing to Broadway, Danny Rose. Um, oh, I love Danny Rose. He's my hero at the moment. My Danny Rose, Rose, Harry Winks. You know, okay. Danny Rose, for me... Great train, know, Robert. Back, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Back in the day when Harry Redknapp was manager... Um, Danny Rose was playing left back uh, and then he moved into left wing and, and, you know, vocally, and I wish somebody called him out on this, vocally came out on the press and said, this, this lad will never be a left back. He just hasn't got it in his game. It was like, put the lad down, you know. He was, almost, he was you know, 13. Just, yeah, you know, it was almost like, cut him off, that's it. You, you know, you'll never play there, my son. Uh, and now he's proving him right. And I heard Harry read that the other day saying, oh, I think he's one of the best uh, left backs, not just in the Premier League, but in Europe. And I was like, mm, hang on. Yeah. But... You know, he is, he's, you know, I wouldn't swap him for anyone at the moment. He's, he patrols that whole left flank up and down. And what I like about him is um, he's, he, he, if he's got a fault in his game, he, someone must point it out to him or he points it out to himself. And, look, and before you know it, he eradicates it and he just gets better and better and better. Um, so very, very pleased with the way uh, he's playing at the moment. Um, with an eye on Spurs, Paul, it's it's a big run of games. He's uh, that 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 Paul Dehaney's mentioned there. It's Southampton and Watford away. It's Chelsea at home, and with now only one point off Arsenal. Regardless of where Spurs' ambitions are, really, in that you know, if 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 Pochettino was sitting here now and he wants to say, well, to be honest with you, we're only really interested in uh, in in top four, or if he was a City now and say we're trying to win the league, well. It, he needs the same. He needs the same same return for either because there's every chance you can throw a blanket over the top four at the end of the season. If we're honest in terms of points returns, so you know it's it's one of those Christmas periods where you almost feel a little bit sorry for Spurs in this and that they've got to be looking at it and thinking, well, we need to we need to get ourselves we need to find a way to get ourselves seven. I'd say seven seven from those nine. Yeah, I think it comes back to something we started talking about two, a couple of years ago, and and I think it's got worse since then for everyone that if if you aim to finish first, you might finish in the top four. And at least then you've got in the top four. If you aim to get in the top four, the, the competition to get in there now, when you when you look at the teams next season who are going to miss out, two, two of six really, really good football teams now are going to miss out on Champions League. So I don't think any of these teams can afford to do anything other than say, we're aiming to finish first. We do everything we can to do that. And we and we take it from there and, and see what happens. And, and I think it's, and I think Arsenal are the weakest of all of those teams now. Do you? Uh, yeah, to get into the top four, which is 
it's, it's, it's weird to say that after all these years that, you know, and they always seem to do it in the, you know, towards the last third of the mm. season, they get back up there. But I just see Arsenal now as being behind Tottenham, behind Liverpool, behind City, behind Chelsea, probably behind United, the way they're starting to play as well. So it's, it, in terms of competition, I think you're right. I think it's just, you could throw a blanket over them unless, unless Chelsea continue doing what they're doing, which is a remarkable run. Um, which is not going to happen. It, but, you know, they will. History, the history tells you they you know, will drop the points. best of all the best teams have only ever won, you know, 12 in a row. You know, I think that's the record is 12 in a row. Mm. Um, so history tells you they're going to drop points. And, and also, I think it is about when you play teams that are so crucial. You know, you can have periods where you play six, seven games and it's they're almost gimmies. If you play your best, you can get full maximum return from yeah. that. And I think that's what Chelsea have done. I think in that run that they've won, they've probably played us and someone else maybe. Well, they, they, didn't they play you and City away back to back? Yeah. And that was that was the big that's that was the, the big thing the for them. But goes so back to what you're saying. They could e- they could easily have been beaten by City and yeah. easily have been beaten by you. Yeah. yeah. So you know they definitely it, got away with the City game. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got to play us at White Hart Lane, which is never an easy game. I can't remember the last time they won at White Hart Lane. Actually, Probably got to come to us as well. Seven years. I've got to go to you. And I've looked at their the back end of their fixtures, and there's still a hell of a lot. We're not even halfway through the yeah. season. So know. you know, just like Man City in the first sort of six games of the season, everybody was saying, "Oh, can't you know." Who's going to finish second? You know, and then it was Arsenal, and then it was Hughes, and then it was us for a little bit. Then you know, so the, nobody can make up their mind. But yeah. best thing to to do is to just say, out of those top six, anything can happen between now and then. We start looking when it gets to sort of April time. Then maybe that you, you know you can look at a couple of teams that might have pulled away. And it can be dictated by as as something like going back to luck. And again, you can you can talk about what well, preparation and all the rest of it. But we've had a lot of injuries so far. Mm. Chelsea have not really well, had they're, anything. They're, You've, their form is based on Costa. Well, primarily, and he's, he's suspended for the for the well, next it's game. One game. It's not a big game. It's not well, a game. They're home to Bournemouth, so yeah. it would have been nice if they were away. But yeah. look, Contact, Kane has been missing well. for Spurs, hasn't he? And, and they mm. they missed him. Uh, you would mm. think at some point in the season they are going to miss one of their one yeah. of their key players, and and that doesn't always happen. I remember in. Um, 05 or 04 05 when, when Everton finished above us and they basically just kept their team fit same with Leicester season. last season Leicester did yeah, last season yeah. so it, it can mm. happen that they don't get injured but mm. I just I, no Europe either but it, that's the same Chelsea. for us isn't it that's yeah the but for them as well so it helps them yeah, yeah. yeah. okay um, on that then very very quickly then I'll go to you Paul Tahaney Southampton first, then it's Watford, uh, then it is Chelsea. You're hoping for seven points. Nine would be fantastic. Is that fair? That would be fair to say. Um, but having said that, you know, you know, a win and two draws isn't the end of the world. Um, but you know, to stay up in that higher echelon, so I think that yeah, seven to nine points is what we'll be looking for. Um, Watford Palace, uh, Burnley, Borough, Swansea, West Ham United. We are entering my girling the era of the six-pointer. It's the time of the season where you can begin to look at games and go, that's a proper six-pointer at the bottom of the table, that. Watford Palace, Burnley, Borough, and uh, Swansea, West Ham. And Alan Pardew's found himself sacked yeah. just as Crystal Palace run into a set of fixtures where they will be looking for a bit of a bounce and looking to get some points on the board. That's probably why they sacked him, so he wouldn't get the credit. <laughs> even, even no, There's nobody likes Alan Pardew, least of all <laughs> people who have to work with him. Um, but, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I know what you're saying. So these are the by, by the these are the teams who are all in contention to be in the bottom three at the end of the season. Very much so with uh, with the with the addition of Hull, uh, but they're the games yeah. this weekend. All of those ones there: Watford Palace, Burnley Borough, and Swansea mm. West Ham. West Ham perhaps slightly less so. Gone on a, a neat little run recently, but will but Swansea will be thinking: well, if we can get something against West Ham, if we can beat West Ham, it keeps them involved in it, even yeah. if they I should mean, end up having too much class. I, I think West Ham were played pretty well against us. I know they're on a stinking run of form, and we were on our blip. But they play pretty well. In terms of all those teams at the bottom there, I think they're comfortably the best of those teams. Um, I don't think they're going to have any 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 trouble. And Watford are very strong at home. Um, so I think of those teams that are going to go there, you could add Hull there, as you said, but I would suggest it would be um, Palace, Burnley, Borough. Those are the ones who are in genuine trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Those three are in genuine trouble. Yeah, mm. I think that's probably the case. Uh, Swansea look look dire. Paul Cope, they look like they haven't got a clue what they're about. Uh, broadly speaking, and there's 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 unfair pressure in some in some cases being heaped on the manager there. That just because he occasionally uses a bit of a mad word doesn't mean he should be slaughtered by anybody. Uh, but he's he's inherited a set of players that don't look great. It's funny. It's funny, isn't it? I so I reference this a lot with Klopp actually that when you go back to, to Rafa and I look at Guardiola now and how managers can put themselves under pressure by doing things that people just judge them on ridiculously. So Klopp can crap, crack jokes and get away with being a bit moody, but Guardiola's a bit moody and the press don't like that. And uh, Bradley can, you, you know, you call a, a pen, a PK or whatever, whatever he's done and everyone goes nuts about it. And that literally something like that can lead to him getting sacked games earlier than you would do ordinarily because people just don't like it and there's almost I used to get really annoyed by it but then I sort of a step beyond that I sort of think well you could you could you're playing the game that you're in you can't change the rules of the game you're in and you are you are going to make it hard of yourself I, look, I often look back at Rafa's time and think there are things you could have done to buy yourself more time that wouldn't have meant any difference to you really you don't have to compromise your your morals or anything you just need to play the game a bit better and by playing the game a bit better you literally buy yourself more time you don't get sacked and I, I think the reality is with someone like him ultimately the, the performances decide don't they and the results decide I think it's a bit of a it was a bit of a crazy I remember the guy the lad you get on who's Swansea fan who talks about it he, he was saying at the time just we, we knew it was going to be him before and it didn't do anything for the club really it didn't get, give anyone a lift no one was really happy about well, it. Well, I think they're against the owners anyway, and aren't the owners American, and haven't they bought in an American coach? It's yeah. almost as if sort of like that sort of added fuel to the fire, and it's almost like giving, you know, I talked about it before. Imagine if Harry Redknapp went into Swansea, you know, win, lose, or draw, the press will be on Harry's side, and at the moment they'll be saying, oh, I can't wait until January so we can speak to yeah. Harry in the transfer window to see who they're bringing in and can wind down his window, and it's all <laughs> Mr. Mr. Happy Cockney. Um, but because this guy's an American, he's just getting slaughtered from all over the place yeah. and, you know, and, and skittered because of his, uh, his terminologies. Um, spoke before to uh, Bradley Hayden about Watford, uh, what's going on there, about the fact that they're quite solid at home, uh, but that there's been no consistency right the way through the season. This is what he had to say. And now joined to talk about Watford with Bradley, and I'm trying the right way to phrase this, really. There's nothing to worry about for Watford, but they could sort of do with getting three points from at least one of these three games over Christmas. Is that fair, Bradley? Yeah, yeah, that that's certainly fair. I think the Crystal Palace one is certainly a game we we need to be getting three points from. 
Um, probably the best way to describe Watford's season so far is probably consistently inconsistent because you'd never really know what Watford's going to turn up at the minute, especially for the last month. I mean, after after we got thrashed by Liverpool 6-1, we turned up and beat Leicester. And the following week, we, we were back to square one again, didn't, didn't play too well, lost to Stoke. And then we kind of... We we lost. I think we went into the international break, and then we lost against West Brom, and then we followed that up with a win over Everton, and then lost against Sunderland at the weekend. So it's it's been rather inconsistent for the past month or two, and I think we're we're still we're still in around where we, we want to be. I think if you if you said to most Watford fans back in August that you were going to be twelfth place going into mm. the Christmas period, I think we all would have taken that, but. I think the last month, I think certainly a lot, a lot of Watford fans have been disappointed in the, the inconsistency because games where you think we should be picking up points or, or results with, like against Sunderland and like against uh, a home game against Stoke, we we failed to do it. But then against games where we're not really expecting too much, like against Everton, we've picked up a win and we've beaten Leicester as well. So it's been rather inconsistent. We're still reasonably happy with, with, with where we are at the minute, but we'd like to see some more, more consistent uh, performances, certainly from our players. Um, and hopefully if we can get three points against Palace on Boxing Day, that will, that will certainly take the pressure off because if we lose to Palace, we've then got, Spares at home, and if we lose both of them, we might be looking over our shoulders a little bit. So definitely, a win should be should be our target over Palace on Boxing Day. Yeah, it strikes me as I mean, you know, looking at the table and and, and having my eye on it for you know across the course of the season. The, one of the, one of the other markers you, you mentioned the inconsistency there, but there's been very very few draws. So one mm. of the reasons why it feels inconsistent is there hasn't been this moment really where where Watford you can say oh, we, you know we, we're unbeaten in four, albeit yeah, two of them are draws. Instead, there has just been you know. Every, Every single game seems to have a pretty def- and and the other thing I think I'd, I'd say as well. Whenever I've seen Watford and seen highlights, at least it feels as though the games have a pretty definitive outcomes. In that they're not even be you, you know you are much better than Everton. I know it finishes three two, but you yeah. are much better than Everton as an example. Yeah. And yeah. that's sort that's sort of what I mean is that all the games Watford have either been very much the best sides or very much the worst sides, and there hasn't even yeah. been that idea of that consistency of performance and, and then being a bit unlucky or something like that. Definitely, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think uh, the, the weekend, uh, the first goal was always going to decide it, I think, against Sunderland. Yeah. It's a tough tough game away against Sunderland. They've, they've kind of had a bit of a revival under Moise the past month or so. So it was always going to be a tough game, and I think the first goal was always going to win it. We had a ton of chances in the first half, didn't take them, conceded a sloppy goal, and then after that we never really looked like getting back in it. And I, I'd agree with, agree with your statement, really, that when, when, we're, when we're good and we're winning, then we're the best side. But when we're... When we're when we've lost the game, then we've really had few complaints, to be honest. I mean, if you look at, at Stoke, I, I think the Stoke keeper might as well have just gone home that day because we barely, we barely even tested him all game. And it was, it was really comfortable for Stoke that day. And, and against West Brom, we, we, we were made to pay for a, a slow, slow and sloppy first-half performance, conceded two stupid goals, and we have gave ourselves a mountain to climb, really. Do you think that, what Got do you think... in it in the second half, and what? then... And then 
just conceded another third goal, really. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. When the games we've won, we've been the best side. But when we when we haven't been winning, when we've, we've certainly been well beaten. What do you think that is? Is that something to do with the way in which the setup is? Is that something to do with the, you know, the, 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 the I know he changes the shape and he's a, he's a very tactically engaged manager. Just sort of feel as though he, he's either sort of him and his players, because obviously the players have got to put the instructions into mm. operation. Him and his players are either getting it right or they're in a situation where they're just getting it wrong. Do you think it's like that or do you think it's... Do, do you just think that it's just simple, simple inconsistency in levels of performance? I think it's it's a bit of both, really. And, I, and I'd add in injuries there. We've had a lot of injuries, we've, and that hasn't really helped. And that Zari's probably had to he's had to change at least one one player in his defence in most games and in midfield as well. So I think injuries haven't helped. I think I think inconsistency of the players as well. I mean, we've had like. Um, Troy Deeney started the season reasonably well, wasn't scoring as many, but the past couple of months he hasn't he hasn't played as well. Um, Etienne Capoue's probably another example as well. He was he was brilliant the first two months of the season. Since then he's failed to really live up to the heights he set certainly in August and September. And then probably tactical issues as well. I mean, some games I think we should have we should have stuck with three at the back because that that was working well up to a point. And some games we've changed to four at the back and we haven't looked as good certainly because a lot of lot of our players who have been playing at full back aren't aren't really out and out full backs. I mean, Daryl Yan, Matt, Jose, Holabas, they they like to get forward, and if you leave them. And if they're, if they're in a four back four, they can sometimes be exposed because they like they like to get forward so much that there can often be a lot of space in behind them. So at wing back, uh, the wing back role probably suits them a lot more. So I'd probably say there's a, there's a load of there's a lot of there's a few reasons why we've we've been inconsistent. It is down to the players. It is down to probably a few injuries as well. And it's maybe it, is, it has been a, a bit of tactical a few tactical issues as well. And I think. Some people say about the language issue with Mazzari and the fact he can't speak English that might that might be playing a role. But I think I think with the fans they, they've they've struggled to build up a rapport with Mazzari so far because although he's done re- he's done reasonably all right so far we're in we're in twelfth. The fact he can't speak the language and the fact we haven't really seen an awful lot of him is then that. The fans don't really have much of a rapport with him. They don't feel like have much of a connection with him. Maybe with the players because they see him every day. Like that mm. might be different, but that you never know. The language issue might be playing a part as well. But uh, there's, there's a few issues. There's a few reasons really why we've probably been a bit inconsistent. So I think it's still there's still a few things to be done. Hopefully we can get a few players in in January to kind of help us out a bit and then hopefully we might see a bit of more a consistent Watford in the second half of the season the other, the other one thing I point out here as well is you know to, to be fair to the manager possibly but it might be what he's doing with them you haven't seen the same sort of stuff from Dini and Igalo I mean Dini never hides he, you know he's, he's always very very willing but it is only three goals so far this season yeah. it is only three assists he's not quite been the sort of the force that he was last season is that is no. that to do with him or is it to do with how he's being used it's it's, I think it is. It, some of it is down to him. I mean, if you looked at his performances during the second half of last season, he he carried us plenty of times during the second half of last season. This season, he's he's done well in patches in some games, but he's he's failed to really be the player that we rejected thirty million for in in the summer. Really, he hasn't really lived up to those to the heights he set last season. Igalo is just completely devoid of confidence. Has has been. 
for like, excuse me for the whole year really. And if you looked at his chance against Manchester City the other week, he had Amrabat plays a perfect ball into the box. That's the Igalo 2015. He pokes that ball in, but instead it's the story of his season really. It comes in and he fires it well over the bar. To be honest, that was if that was the Igalo of last year. That's that's in and that's one one, and we might go on to get a point. But certainly the, the misfiring of our strikers has played a part because aside from Akaka's double against Everton the other week. I can't really remember the last time our strike, one of our strikers, actually scored a goal. You have in 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 the game in our win over Leicester, we had um, Capu and Pereira scoring against West Brom. We had one of our defenders getting on the score sheet. So our strikers are definitely out of form. That might be down to the fact that injuries have kept out success and Okaka more, more often recently mm. and that means that they haven't had as much pressure on them as maybe Watford fans would have liked but I think the, the form of our strikers is definitely a concern we we, we really need Dini is such an important player in his team that we really need him firing and while, we, while he's you can never question his, his work ethic and what he's doing in games you sometimes think he needs to be a bit more potent, a bit more clinical, really, because we've had a few balls that have been, been played into the box where if the man attacks the near post like a Kaka did against Everton, then it's it's a goal. But the likes of Dini and Egalo haven't been doing that as much recently, and if Dini has been getting a chance, he's he's not been scoring it. So our stri- the form of our strikers is, is a little bit of a concern. Um, maybe that might be something that we address in January by bringing in another striker. Who knows? But... Hopefully we we can see the return of of the form of Dini soon, but I think Kigalo's his, his season so far the whole year has been pretty much a write off to be honest because he's just been completely out of form and has not really shown any signs that he's going to get back to the player of 2015. Okay, what are you going to give me for the weekend then, Jeff? I mean, it's, the Palace are such a strange side themselves and they're hugely inconsistent too. I mean, the one thing that shouldn't happen in the game is a draw, so it probably is the thing that will happen. But it's uh, what, 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 which way do you see it going this one? I can see it being quite a high-scoring game, to be honest, because Palace and Watford both got leaky defences, not very good from corners and crossing into the box. So I think there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a few goals in the game. Wolfram Zaha normally has normally has quite a good game against us as well. So, but I think at home. And with with coming off the back of two defeats, I think, and with Spurs coming up, I think our, our players are surely going to be targeting and motivated to get three points this weekend. So I'm going to say 3-2 Watford. 3-2 Watford, OK. Let's uh, shoot back over and think what everybody else thinks. Bradley there. And everything is tightening up at the bottom. I mean, you know, Bournemouth are in ninth or on 21 points. Sunderland are in 18th or on 14. Um It'll be clearer, uh, Paul Dehaney, by the third round of the FA Cup. These three games now that are coming for everybody, one around Boxing Day, one around New Year's Eve, and one around the 2nd of January. Yeah, it's bizarre the way that those fixtures are falling. I mean, we, we're quite lucky that we play sort of Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, I think, so it doesn't really affect us where normally you sort of have like 48 hours we've rest. Got, we've got that. Have you got the, the whole? Yeah, we play, we, we play New Year's Eve at, uh, at, at, at R5, and then we play on the 2nd at 3pm. Yeah, I mean, looking at past fixtures at Christmas when we have played those quick uh, turnarounds, it is really good to, to, to mix the squad up because you do get that situation where 
you know, players just don't perform over three games in such a short space. It just doesn't happen. And I've heard that from players. It's not a, a fallacy that we look back, we look at and we say, oh, you know, players can't play three games in three. It, I've heard it from players. It, it Physically and mentally, it's just too much for them mm. because of the high stakes that we play in now and, and the pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, yeah, it's going to be crucial for those teams. But again... What, how many games will that make it? We're into the season. We're halfway. We're we'll be halfway. Twi- by, the, by, the, by the end of the Christmas period, if we include the first game in January, we'll be, we'll be on 20. Right. So I think by then, it's there should be slightly clearer. So start being clearer, yeah. Um, you don't want to be getting cut adrift, basically. You don't want to be in a situation where, you know, you're, you know, six points above the cut-off point. You know, that's when you're going to start, you know, because then you're in uh, situations where you're having to win and hope other people don't win. And then sometimes even when you do win three on a bounce, the other teams have won three on a bounce, you've got nowhere. So you don't want to be in that position. Mm. Uh, okay then. Um, moving forward as well, one of those sides, I decided to do a relegation-y sort of show. I thought we'd quite like it. Nice to look at the sides who we don't often hear that much from and talking about what they've got coming up over Christmas. Uh, I have Tyrone Marshall uh, on Burnley. And to talk about Burnley, joined by Tyrone Marshall of the Lancashire Telegraph and... Tyrone, it's, it feels like it's a bit of a knife-edge Christmas for Burnley, really. Um, Sunderland have got their act together to a certain extent over the last few weeks. And it feels like one of those little runs of games here where I'll just I'll just let everyone who's listening know. Uh, Burnley got two homes, one against Middlesbrough, uh, and then on New Year's Eve they've got Sunderland. And, and then it's Man City away. Looking at those two games, uh, Burnley-Middlesbrough, Burnley-Sunderland... If Burnley can get four points from them, it becomes a good Christmas and it becomes maybe just a boost that they need at this point to be getting into the midway point on 21 points. Yeah, absolutely. I think they'd take four points uh, right now from those two games. They are two huge, huge games. I think, you know, for for everyone involved with the club and for fans, it's going to be a very nervy Christmas day, um, knowing that they've got those two say, massive home games. Middlesbrough are points above them. You think they're going to be in around there at the end of the season. Sunderland, like you say, started to turn a corner, look a bit better. Um, I mean, in an, if you're going to take four points, probably a draw against Middlesbrough and victory over Sunderland just to try and keep that that three-point cushion the top to the relegation zone at the moment would be ideal. Um, I mean, six points feels like a big ask from those two games, but they have been very good at home this year. Um, but, I mean, six points would be a phenomenal return. That, that would be some New Year's Eve celebration, but... Like I say, I think four would be would be acceptable to, to virtually everyone. What what what's noticeable is is this sort of. I mean, I was I was speaking to Bradley before who, who, who writes about Watford and supports Watford, and he you know he Watford are four points clear of Burnley, but they're in a similar boat. It does feel as though there is a almost every side in that bottom, you know, in that in in, in that from tenth down. Really, you think that you know Bournemouth and Stoke look look like they've got their act together to a certain extent, but with the with the fact that you know you've got Swansea beginning to get the odd win, Sunderland's victory, Sunderland turning a slight corner and getting themselves four wins in the last seven all of that sort of points towards everyone could just sort of do with getting through Christmas getting a nice little buffer getting themselves four points everyone in that bottom half of the table is looking wants exactly the same thing and it's strike obviously not everyone can have it these sides are facing each other and it's it, it, we're now properly in the in the part of the season where you can call these games six pointers yeah definitely and I began to bunch off a little bit in, in that bottom half with Sunderland's up turn um, I mean Hollis still still in there picking up points. I think a lot of people have written Hull off a long time ago, but they seem to be still in there fighting. Swansea, like you said, that they pick up the odd win. Um, it, it has bunched up there, and I think it is, you know, with three games coming up in, in what, basically a week, um, it's going to be a crucial period, especially for teams like Burnley, 
who have got two home games against two sides in and around them. And I think New Year's Eve will mark the halfway point of the season, so it's yeah. a good chance then for everyone to sort of take stock and think, where are we? Where do we go from here? Are we in a good position? Um, and, and for Burnley, those two games are crucial with Man City away on, on the second, which yeah, yeah, it's almost impossible to see them getting anything from there, given their away form and, and who they're playing. Um, so those two home games are, are massive. It's it's it struck me in recent weeks. Uh, sort of keeping an eye on Burnley from afar. He's he's uh, Vokes as as he's he's gone back to grey. Vokes who was who, who was in decent form, sticking the ball in the back of the net, has has, has stepped down uh, out of the side. That he's 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 gone with you know the lad who from afar looks the better player. Uh, yeah. But at some point though, grey for himself, I think, and Burnley. Are, as a side, need Gray to become the, the the player that everyone thinks he could be in the Premier League. It feels like these games are, are big for him. These are the sides that do sort of need to be put to the sword, and and that's that that's what his job is in this side very much. So everyone else is working, everyone else is grafting. He's meant to be the man who's who's, who's offering the the key thing, which is getting Burnley the one or two goals they need to get results in these matches. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's gone ten games without a goal now, so he's yeah. only got the one goal which is against Liverpool. And I mean, it's his longest goal drive since since he was playing for Luton in the conference. So it's it's unusual for him. But he does have he has quite a sort of and the manager's talked about it as well. A very sort of sort of laid back that the words use approach to goal scoring. Where if he misses a chance, he doesn't beat himself up over it. Um, he had a really good chance to score at Tottenham. Should have scored at Tottenham on Sunday. But as soon as it's gone, it's gone, and he's just on to the next one. He he does seem to have. I don't know if it's the way he's, he's come through the league and come up through non-league, but he has this sort of very phlegmatic approach where. If he misses a chance that he knows he should have scored, it doesn't linger in his mind. It it doesn't you know it, it doesn't he doesn't beat himself up over it. It's gone. Move on to the next one. Um, I spoke to him this week, um, and you know it, he was he was very very chipper, very confident. Said he wasn't worried about the lack of goals. Um, he was absolutely adamant. Said I will score goals. I know I'll score goals, um, and they are coming. So he, he's very confident. And um, I mean the interesting thing about him getting back in the team is, you know, for for two or three years under the manager, it's been. Very easy, like we always do a preview piece for the game where you put, you know, Burnley's probable team. And for two or three years, it was very easy. 4 4 2, pretty much the team that played last week, barring any injuries or suspensions, anyone coming back. It was, it was regular 4 4 2. The team hardly ever changed. It was easy to do. This year, it's been so difficult to predict. Um, you know, the manager's changed the system a lot, he's changed the personnel a lot. I think a lot of that is because he is just constantly searching for something that works away from home. They've moved to this sort of four four one one at home, which has worked really, really well for them. They look solid, picked up wins away from home. It's not worked at all for them, so they've sort of gone back to a four four two, played around with the four 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 one one, you know, dropping a man deeper, tried various different personnel, made a lot of changes and it's just constantly sort of searching for for something that works away from home really. The other, I mean, you mentioned the away form there, but the other, again, the other player who, 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 when he first hit the ground this season, looked like he was going to be significant, but has found himself on the bench last couple of games is Defoe. Mm. Is that is that is that because he isn't performing, or because those who've got him when he's had when he's had his injury issues have just performed have just performed well enough that the manager's going to persevere with them? Uh, it's difficult to say. I mean, he, he's been on the bench for away games when I mean, they've just sort of gone back to a four four two away from home, and that's when Defoe has found himself on the bench at home when it's still the three man midfield. He's played. Um, I mean, I think everyone who watches Burnley would say he's, he's obviously Burnley's most technical midfielder, the most technical player, probably. He's probably their biggest name at the club. Um, the one issue is his fitness, really. He signed you know, he signed four months ago and he's still not completed 90 minutes yet. I think it's 12, 12 games now and he's come off in every one of them. Um, it's, it's an obvious concern. The manager spoke when he came in about 
the adaption from, from Belgian football. He was playing 90 minutes for Anderlecht at the start of the season, but the manager said you know, it was a lot slower there. There was bursts of tempo, but generally play was a lot slower and it would take him time to adapt. But I don't think anyone thought four months down the line he still wouldn't be completing 90 minutes, especially in three-man midfields. And when Burnley are playing 4-4-2 away from home, the onus is on those two central midfielders to, to really work their socks off. They've got to do a lot of pressing, cover a lot of ground. And, I mean, the manager says not, but part of me thinks perhaps it's, that's the reason away from him. He's finding himself on the bench. He's a better weapon to bring on enough for half an hour to maybe start and think, come 55, 60 minutes, you've got to take him off. The b- um, but I think the sooner he finishes 90 minutes, the quicker this issue can be sort of put to bed. I mean, one of the one of the strange things about him though is that again when he first arrived, and sometimes a player gets a bit of a purple patch, and you can't you can't mm. get carried away. But he, the other thing I noticed when uh, set pieces of the business, and you know if you're in Burnley's position, it's quite nice to have someone who can who can really take a who can, who can take a really really good set piece. And whatever I've seen them seen him this season, and he's taken one. You know, it's yep. they're not all perfect, but there's there's you know he feels dangerous from them. I think you know if you can get him on the pitch for that value, that 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 that's worth something surely. Absolutely. Um, you know, he, he set up a couple of goals through set pieces, through corners earlier on in the season. Um, when he's in the team, he tends to take the corners. His, his delivery is excellent. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And his, his creativity as well. You know, he's, of the three Burnley midfielders, he's probably got the best passing range and, and probably the best eye for a pass in terms of creating a chance for midfield. On a couple of counter-attacks, he's, he often, you know, obviously picks the right pass. You can see he's got, he's, he's sort of one step ahead of, of a lot of other players in the squad. Um, so it would make sense, and it's something the fans. I think the fans are, are fairly amused at, at why he has found himself on the bench as well, um, away from home. I imagine these two games coming up, he'll, he'll probably be starting. He'll probably be back to kind of one up front, and and he's in the team. Um, the issue is how how do you get him in away from home? But you know, like I say, for, for that quality and and that ability on the ball and set pieces, I think it's someone you could you, know, you need to try and find place for him in the team but I think the issue is finding a place for him and then trying to play two up front at the moment the uh, the other thing in that within that midfield uh, that's noticeable as well is Barton uh, re-signing. I think it's sort of it's sort of been on the cards because he's been training uh, with yeah. Burnley for about a month or so now. Yeah. Um, again, you know, th- thinking partially about the four there as well. But you'd, you you know you think to sign them to get him on the pitch. You would think so. Um, I mean, tricky one. If, if at home if they're going to persist with the three man midfield and they need they needed another body in there because they've got the three senior pros and then the next. Next in line is an 18-year-old lad, Aidan O'Neill, who's very talented. But, you know, you don't really want him to be next in line. You'd rather he could take a step back, maybe go on loan and, and develop a bit before being thrown in at the deep end. Um, so it certainly makes sense um, how he gets in the team. And it, it's an interesting one. I don't know if he'll go... I'll be surprised if he went straight in. Um, you know, the, the three the three in there, Hendrick, uh, who signed in the summer, has improved a lot recently. He's probably in the best form of his of the season so far. Dimani, a lot of people wrote him off at the start of the season and thought with Hendrick and Dufour coming in, he'd be the one to drop out, but he's been sort of the ever-present and the constant in that midfield. Um, adding Barton in is great for the depth, and you'd think he's going to get on the pitch at some point. Who four is is the interesting one. Um, and the other interesting thing, of course, is at 34, you'd think he's, you know, as much as he enjoyed life at Burnley last season, he strikes me as the type of coach who wants to be playing at 34 rather than sitting on the bench, coming off for 20 minutes to see out games here and there. So you'd think he's, he's had that conversation with the manager about, am I going to be starting enough games here? 
very much so. Uh, you would think that he's going to get in there as well. Uh, what question we've always got to ask you whenever we get you on is uh, how's Flanagan getting on? I noticed he's had a couple of starts recently. Uh, doesn't play the last game um, against against Spurs. Um, how's Flanagan looked? <laughs> he played against Stoke recently, and to be honest, he had a really he had a difficult game and a fairly poor game. To be honest, yeah, um, a lot of people had been calling for him to come in the side. You look at it on and you think he's probably Burnley's best defensive fullback. Um, and uh, you know, finally he came in. He, he played right back that game at Stoke, and it, his passing was off. He had a tough time against Arnautovic. Arnautovic beat him out wide for one of the goals, and I mean, he just looked a little bit off the pace, which is probably no great surprise. But again, he, he's kind of at the stage where having had that eighteen months out and, and come back in January, he needs to be playing week in, week out, probably, and getting a run of fifteen, twenty games in a row rather than coming in here and there. Um, I mean, Lighton is suspended on Boxing Day, Matt Lighton, the regular right-back. So you would think it would be another chance for him to, to play and impress on Boxing Day. Um, he played played for the under-23s in midweek in, in a friendly. Um, so it's another another run-out, but you know he, he needs to be playing Premier League football, really, and, and week in, week out. So, um, you know, he, he did get his chance against Stoke, but unfortunately he, he had a real off day. Um you would expect him to play on Boxing Day with the suspension. Mm. Um, but at the moment, I think he's, he's still got a little bit to sort of prove to, to get himself in that side regularly. But I think when he signed, probably a lot of people expected he would force his way in. Um, certainly on paper with what he's achieved and, and what the performances people saw from a few years ago, you'd expect him to be in that Burnley side. Uh, but at the moment, he's, he's just not managed to force his way in. Okay, uh, looking at the Middlesbrough game then uh, should be a really good game actually. It's uh, it's one to keep an eye on the three o'clock kick off there on Boxing Day. I think it'll be I think it could be a really really good game of football, a uh, highly competitive and Middlesbrough are a decent side. Are you are you hopeful for a victory? I think given I think given their own form, yes, you'd say I think they'd start they'll start favourites for certain to both games. Um, difficult to win both, but I think it's certainly achievable. They have. I mean, it, the contrast between their home form and away form this season has been has been remarkable. But they have looked a really good side at home. They've beaten some very good teams, and if they can keep that level up, then I don't see any reason why not. The difference for them now is the wins they've had against sort of Liverpool, Everton, Bournemouth, Palace. They've been sort of teams that have come in and played relatively open, and it's been sort of a you know yeah. an open Premier League game. Whereas these two are probably going to be more of a and a fight. Well, they're both happy to get a point, aren't they? If we're honest, I mean, both Middlesbrough and, and, and Sunderland will be happy just with the idea of 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 keep going to Burnley and keeping keeping the, the just the, the the gap between the sides the way that, the way it is now. Middlesbrough ahead and Sunderland behind, and I think that is going to present new difficulties and new challenges. Yeah, definitely. You know, the, the teams they've beaten so far this season are probably teams that that turned up and thought, you know, we can go win at Turf more. Whereas now. These two, like you say, will turn up and think, let's just be tight, be solid, make it difficult, not give anything away. And that's going to be where the, where the challenge is for Burnley. But, you know, they, they had that a lot last year and, and overcome it. They ground out a lot of 1-0 wins last year. They've always been very resilient under this manager, very tough to beat. And, and you know, generally good in those sort of games, just finding a way to get over the line. Um, and if they can do that, fantastic. I mean, if they, if they do get two wins, and get to 23 points at the halfway stage, then they're going to be in, in an unbelievable position going into the turn of the year. Oh, OK. Always good to speak to Tyrone, uh, finding out what's going on at Burnley. Uh, let's go back to everyone else and have a chat about the relegation picture. I'm just looking at this... Um... Uh, Tyrone Marshall there, just having a little bit of a chat there, the boys, uh, <laughs> as we came back. Um, it is... That's, uh, that, that, that's what's happening at the bottom of the table. Um, 
United, uh, straightforward Boxing Day, Sunderland, Arsenal, straightforward Boxing Day, West Ham, Chelsea, uh, relatively straightforward for them as well, uh, home against Bournemouth, and uh, Manchester City, I'm trying to do all these off, off memory by the way lads, so I think you'll have been impressed so far, mm. not even I can stretch to who Manchester City's game is, if, if, away, if anyone wants to step in, Hull away, now this is very much a Liverpool versus Stoke, this is all very much a Paul Dehaney coupon buster question, mm-hmm. uh, if we're all honest about it, mm-hmm. um, so Paul, who's going to bust your coupon? In that lot, um, well, I think City will win. I think United will win. Chelsea will win. And what's the other one? Arsenal. 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 Do you know what? For once, this could be the one. You know, I say three times a season that everyone does win. Oh, hang on a minute. Where are we? <laughs> you're away oh, we're not playing that way. You're, you're away at Southampton. Okay. I'm not, I'm not including we're not including that good. I'm okay. not including you in that. On that little four, I think that could be the one... You know where I say that three times a season they all do win. I think this could be the one. It's I mean I mean Paul, they're all I mean and you can to a certain extent include Liverpool, Stoke. It's it's fallen quite nicely for those sides there. They're all relatively straightforward games. That said, you've still got to go and win them. The only thing around this time of year is a few of those sides might well be thinking. You know, if you're West Brom and you go and you 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 go into Arsenal, you might have one eye thinking, well, yeah, but the next game we're going to Southampton and. We probably think we'll get more more out of Southampton. I think those sorts of decisions do actually start being made by managers at this stage. Yeah, the, Paul touched on this before, and I, I mentioned this last week about Joe. The, the old cliche of "Oh, will you play everyone twice and it all evens itself out?" I think that's a load of nonsense because is, yeah. th- this is a this is a perfect example. We play Sunderland away two days after, well, 48 hours after playing City. So we have to play a full-strength team against City. Now, I don't know who Sunderland played the game before us, but they could very easily think, say, away, say it is, well, they've got United away. Is that United away yeah. here? Yeah. So they've they got United away, but then they go away to Burnley. So for them, that's, that's a six-pointer yeah, so for that's them. A, yeah. so, so actually, it could work the other way for us on this example. They could go, well, we're going to put everything into the Burnley game and we'll just do what we can. We'll do what we can and, then, and then we just... Patch up for but they're going to know we've we only got, we got less than 48 hours though between games so they, gonna, I mean they, they kick, they, they, they've they got literally 48 hours though Mike. as well same. yeah they kick off at 3pm on, on Saturday the 31st we kick off mm. at half 5 it's I mean it's uh, every hour counts at that stage but it is it's two and a half hours if you know what I mean difference between the two sides yeah, yeah. and this is where we're travelling this applies across the whole board then doesn't it because mm. Arsenal could end up having an easy game for the same reason or they could end up having a tough game because of this well, Arsenal, thing, I think Arsenal will have a tough game but see Arsenal West Bromwich Arsenal's a funny one isn't it they could either be an absolute Arsenal masterclass against a team like West Brom and they put six past them. Or you can see the the, the fume on Arsenal TV now. You can imagine it now <laughs> oh as, as 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 you know as as um, as West Brom do them. You know what I mean? With a proper violent performance. I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what more <laughs> pleasure I'd get. It's like Tottenham winning two games on a row yeah. or Arsenal just losing Arsenal two games. Just TV. so I can watch Arsenal fan TV. <laughs> you imagine know? that. It's just, they don't know what they're doing for Tottenham fans. It's just no, like, it's just amazing. We love it. it. There is a, I say potential coupon bust there. It's a bit of a tantalizer. Is uh, Sunderland at United, you know? Go on, tell me why. Moyes. Moyes, this is Moyes. If Moyes is going to want to do something there. More than anything in his life, but I can see a, maybe a draw. I can see. I can just. It, it's got. It's. It could happen. It could happen. Do you know there, there is there is a Sunderland fact which is interesting and it's currently gone underreported. It's that Fabberini's back. Is he? Fabberini is back playing for Sunderland. Wow. And he loves running around loads. Loves against running. Him. Loves, loves running around loads against Man United. It's one mm. of his favourite things. I think if that was at, I think if that was at the Stadium of Light, Mike, I think that might be. Definitely, you'd be, think, then you'd be looking at it and going, you know, you never know. There, yeah. I think I just think that United in the current run that they're on, they, they, they should have too much. I think a similar thing. I think a similar thing about Chelsea as well, though, because I know I know I mentioned this already, but 
it will be interesting to see Chelsea without Costa and Kante in the same game. And if it was any... Why have they got Costa? So if it was away at Bournemouth, obviously it'd be much better for us. Mm. But I, I just, I, I look at Bournemouth and I look at Eddie Howe as someone who'll, who'll look at that and he'll say to his, his team, well, look, two of their best players who were instrumental to this team aren't mm. playing. They won there last year, did they? Bournemouth? I think they no, beat them at home. I think they beat them at home I last thought year. they won at uh, Chelsea. They did. They, you're right, no, they did. Everybody, everybody won at Chelsea. Chelsea. So yeah. there you go. So there's, you know, there's, a, there's a little potential there. for us. Sooner or later, Chelsea, you're going to slip up. And you, you, the, the way football works is often it comes out of the blue and you don't really yeah. expect it. So mm. there, there could be that little doubt in Chelsea's minds. If you're coming on the pitch without Costa and Kante thinking... How does this all work without those two? Costa's mm. pulled them out of it a couple of times in this run. Mm-hmm. We don't know. I don't know how good. They've got they, a decent you know. squad though, Chelsea. It, it, it maybe, maybe Bournemouth get a point. You can maybe talk yourself, Paul. You are you are successfully talking me, Kofi. <laughs> as you can talk me into anything, <laughs> you're successfully talking me into Bournemouth getting a point there. I'm now going to be disappointed and blame you if they don't. <laughs> uh, but you've successfully That's sort of talk, talk me into that one. Uh, all right, then it's been. Um, We've had a lovely time. Thank you very much to Mike and the two Pauls. And also a thank you to Elliot, to Bradley and to Tyrone for joining us on the phone. It's been your Friday show, really. Settle yourself down. We've done it. Yep, the games are a little bit further away. The 26th is Monday uh, and they all start from there. But, you know, you can digest it. You can think about it and you can play it to the whole family at 3pm on Christmas Day. Uh, Thank you very much to everybody. Andy Heaton for producing. Uh, Have a lovely Christmas. That was an Anfield Rap player show behind the paywall normally, but this week as part of the Christmas hamper, we just wanted to give it to you, let you listen, see what we're about. Hopefully you enjoyed it hugely. There'll be more of them to come. Sports Social Podcast Network.